Thanks for joining us on the Father's House Podcast, where we are leading people into a growing relationship with Jesus. If you have any questions or want to learn more about us, you can always check us out online simply by going to thefathershouse.com. We'd love for you to stay connected throughout your week. Now, let's go to this week's message. It's so great to see you. You guys look beautiful this morning. I don't know if I've told you lately, but I love you. I wouldn't want to do life without you. I'm so honored that you're here today. Those of you that are watching online, thank you for joining us. We are so blessed. Father's House, let's welcome those that are watching online today. You're in for a real treat. Today we have a very, very special guest with us, Pastor Rick Godwin from the Summit Church in San Antonio, Texas. Uh, Rick is uh, my pastor. He's been my guide, my leader, my mentor, my kick-in-the-butt, get-it-together guy. Everybody needs somebody like that, right? I met Rick about 33 years ago at a James Robinson Bible conference, and when he spoke, I just, man, just like a trumpet went off on the inside of me, and I thought, man, if I could say it like that, if I could get to know this guy, I think he's, uh, I, I think he's supposed to speak something into my life. And so uh, Rick came to a church in Virginia. I was pastoring. We became friends. He ordained me 30 years ago. And uh, you know what I like is I like long-term relationships. I like people who uh, go for the long haul. There's a lot of people who start churches, start ministries, and they just peter out, and they never finish strong. But through the years, I've watched Rick, instead of getting weaker, he gets stronger even though he's a little bit older than me, he just gets stronger and smarter and wiser. And uh, we, I'm telling you, we are blessed today. We're going to receive a very special love offering at the end today, as we always do for our guests, because here at the Father's House, we honor. We're a place that honors, and we believe in that, and we believe that that's what God receives. So I'm going to say today, would you stand to your feet and give my friend and Rick Godwin a wonderful welcome to the Father's House. Jerry. Thanks, Bubba. Hey, good morning, everybody. Good to see you. Have a seat. Hope you had a great week. It's an honor always to be here. I go all the way back to Shoney's Big Boy. Really sucky beginning, but look what the Lord has done. And although I come from a big city and have friends with mega churches in big cities, I said to Terry one day, if you realize in perspective what you've accomplished in a small community, it's amazing, absolutely amazing. You know, God says it's how you play the cards you've got, not the cards you don't have, but how you use what God gave you. You know, we didn't get to choose what we showed up on earth with, like five talents, two, or one. We were, our God packed my bags before I got here, and you too. All I can do is be responsible to be faithful with what he gave me, and I think Terry and Anita and the team with them, they've done a great job in a multi-million dollar complex when most people said you couldn't do it in a small community. Everybody's old or retired, uh, never been done before, yada, yada, yada. You don't need the devil, just try to obey God. It's Christians that'll kill you. <laughs> I ain't had any trouble from the devil, it's Christians that uh, give me trouble. And I just marvel at the beauty and excellence of your facilities and the excellence of your team there's something to be commended. You don't find that everywhere. And so I hope you'll support it. I hope you'll be involved, help it, serving, time, talent, and treasure. Make a difference in the world. You change one life, then you change a family, then you change a generation. It's quite amazing what one life changing can accomplish. 
in one week in North Carolina, Bill, uh, was it Mordecai Ham? Yeah, Mordecai Ham preached a whole week in a rural town in a small community, and nobody got saved but one teenage boy. That happened to be Billy Graham and changed the world. I, I'm thinking, you never know who's sitting in here, what God can do with somebody, young or old or middle-aged. You just never know. And so it's about changing one life. And I tell our team, every week is a big week for somebody. It may not be a big week for you, but it will be for somebody. Somebody's marriage hangs in the balance. Somebody may give up on life. You never know. It might be the last weekend, the last service for somebody. So bring your A game. Be your best. Be friendly. Shake hands. Get up out of your seat and say hi to somebody. It could make a big difference. Everybody loves friendliness and kindness, and uh, sitting back aloof and cold and looking doesn't help anybody. So I tell everybody, this: we don't have a hug-free zone. You come in here, you're going to get a smile, handshake, and I don't care if we've never seen you before. Introduce yourself, make it an oasis of love and friendship, and everybody likes that. Even Dean Martin knows you're nobody till somebody loves you for crying out loud. You don't have to be a child of God to know that, but I'm really honored to be here, and it's hard to believe it's been 33 years. I was actually a young guy once. Yeah, I still feel that way, but you look in the mirror and you realize, yeah, some things you can't stop, you know, but I'm glad to be here, and I hope you had a good time, and I hope we have a good time together today. Take a look at the picture. It should be a big tombstone up there. And there are two dates on that tombstone. Now, this is a scary thing to show in a retirement community, I'm aware of. But it awaits every one of us. And everybody has a date. Notice on the left. Everybody has a date you entered this world. You did not get to choose when to come or if you were going to come or to whom you would be born or what race you would be in. None of us are responsible for that. But God chose you and you entered this world. On the right, since you're sitting here, there would be an incomplete date yet, and that's the day you leave this earth, and nobody wants to volunteer for that. I wouldn't think so. People ask me, what do you want people to say at your funeral? And I said, I want somebody to say, look, he's moving. Are you kidding me? I love life. I want to get all the passion and gusto I can out of every single day. But in between your first day of arrival and your last day when you exit this earth, notice that little dash. That little dash is your life. And as small as it is, all of our living, all of our loving, all of our growing, all of our challenges, all of our accomplishments, all of our efforts, all of our friendships, are crammed into that one little hyphen. Life in the dash. And yet everything written on that dash is mostly up to us, whether our life proves to be a blessing or not. So the question I ask this morning is, what are you going to do with your dash? We all get one, but you only get one. Even Bud Weiser knows you only go around life once. So get all the gusto you can. That ain't a bad philosophy, really. What are you going to do with your dash? Here's what David wrote in Psalms 90, verse 12. Teach us to number our days correctly that we can gain a heart of wisdom. He's saying, God, show me how to live 
these few days I have on earth, wise, smart. You know, there may be six steps to a good marriage. There might be seven steps to prosperity. But there's only one step to stupid. Just one. And you can wreck your life. Everybody's free to choose what you want, but you're not free to choose the consequences of your choice. So I want to choose wisely. And I'll tell you something, you may not like to hear it. You are who you are, what you are, where you are, based on all the choices you've made. Right or wrong, good or bad, take responsibility. You can change. That's a good thing. You can change from this day forward and rewrite the script for the ending of your life. It's not set in stone. So I've got 365 days to squander or live wisely. I can live by design or I can live by default. I can just wash up on the beach or I can live for purpose. That's my choice and it's your choice. So let me start by asking you another question. What do you think is the most dangerous item in your home? One philosophy professor wrote a whole book on risk, and he focused one chapter on household risk. Some of the findings are pretty much what I'd expect. Kitchen knives injure about 460,000 people every year. Manual and power saws account for over 100,000 injuries, which is why even though I have them, my staff strongly encourages people who know me best don't turn them on. Okay. Other household hazards kind of surprised me. 20 people every year in America are strangled to death by drapery cords. That was a bit of a surprise. The author of this book, Larry Loden, he claims, and I'm quoting, annually some 4,000 Americans are seriously injured on pillows. Say what? I don't know how you sleep, baby, but I don't want to sleep with you. 4,000, oh, don't know how that happens. So let me ask you, what do you think is the most dangerous object in your house? Now I want to show you another picture. This, I suggest, might be the most dangerous object in your home. That's a chair. It is a special kind of a chair. It's called a lazy boy chair. It is not called a worker boy. It is not called a risky boy. It's a lazy boy. You don't buy a chair like that to keep you upright at a computer. You buy it for one reason only, comfort. And oh, we like comfort. For those of you that have a chair in your home like that, what's the one object you're usually holding when you're in that chair? A remote control. Now take a good look at the guy in that chair. Does that look like somebody ready to spring into action? Does that look like somebody poised for a great adventure of growth and development? Somebody ready to suffer for another person in need? And if God were to ask that person to do a real difficult thing right now, you think they're ready? I'm not putting my money on it. What about our own lives? If your life was primarily devoted to life in the chair, maximizing your level of comfort, minimizing any stress or problem, if that was my primary purpose in life, would that really excite me? That would not jack me up. That's like kissing my sister. Now, I'd rather kiss a mule than kiss my sister. 
my wife preferably. <laughs> I'm really, I'm, I'm saying, I want something that turns the testosterone on. I want something that makes my heart beat fast. I want something I look forward to. And I got to tell you, retirement ain't on the top of my list. That, that's people who die but haven't been buried yet. There's, I mean, as, it's nothing wrong to retire from a company, but to retire from life? You're going to get every disease in Egypt. You're not going to live maybe five more years without picking up all kinds of disease because when you retire, your immune system drops. It drops. Your resistance to disease. It's, it's something about vision and passion and something to look forward to that creates certain kind of chemistry in your body that helps your immune system, helps you in your health. I'm 76 years old. I feel like I'm 40 years old. I've had one surgery. I had a rotator cuff surgery on this right shoulder one year ago. That's it. I mean, everything works. And the, the point is, I, I, I've got, I just don't have time to be sick and to, and to sit around and tell you I got diflugus or the new gag or what new pain I have. I've got a life to live, a future, kids to raise, a generation to touch. And I, I had no idea when I started it would keep you alive. So retirement was never mentioned in the Bible. You might redesign your life in a restructuring of your life, but never quit. That, then you start to die slowly, right? And that wouldn't make me jump out of bed every morning to get on my golf cart and drive around. I, I, sorry, I'd rather get in a sports car with a roll bar and an airbag and go fast. That's exactly me. Okay, just talking. All right, don't get mad at me. Now, let me tell you what I think is so dangerous about that chair. It's not the stuff you do while you're in it. It's all the stuff you don't do when you're in it. It's relationships you never deepen. It's the people that need you to serve that you'll never serve because you don't even see them. It's desperate, urgent prayers you never pray. It's great thoughts you never even think about. It's races you never run. Battles you were made to fight that you never show up and fight. None of it. See? It is an amazing thing. The laughter, the, the pain, the tears, the crying, whatever it may be, you don't show up for it. You never have that. You're too comfortable. See, it's the great adventure of life with God you and I were made for that you never go on. I was made, you were made for something more than life in the chair. The seduction of life in a chair. Now, I'm not picking on the chair. It's a good chair. I'm using it as an analogy of a comfortable life, withdrawn, never engaged, and never fulfilling the purpose for which God made you, whatever your career, calling, or race, or nationality may be. I'm just using it as an analogy because in America, comfort has become our primary target and goal, and we were made for something a lot better than that. I'm made to spend my life in a risky partnership with God. So that's why that chair might symbolize the most dangerous object in your house. Not because of what happens when you're in it, but what doesn't happen when you're in it. Now, I'm not saying that means to go jump out of an airplane or go over Niagara Falls in a barrel. It's really about making your ordinary life an adventure and a partnership with God. It's waking up in the morning and say, God, okay, thank you for another day of life. Life above ground. It's a good thing. God, what do you want me to do today? I will do it. And pretty much throughout the Bible, God calls people out, challenging his people 
on a particular assignment or task. And what I've seen and learned is that whenever God calls somebody, there's a consistent pattern of how he does it and how we respond over and over. So let me walk you through five areas that are present when God calls anybody to do anything. Number one, first is the initial call. That's where God asks somebody to do something. And I have to ask you this question. Can you think of anywhere in the Bible God interrupts a man's life and says, I got something easy for you to do? Now, I'll get naked up here if you can find the page. Go, go ahead. You can look. It ain't there. Easy. The only easy day was yesterday. And that's what the Marines and the Navy SEALs always say. Easy isn't in the Bible. It's more like impossible without God. God says, now unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we ask or think. Now, if you live in a small community or you lived in a small family, in a small neighborhood, in a small culture, you don't think too big. You haven't been exposed to anything bigger to stretch your imagination, to enlarge your vision, to see what's possible. If, and, and this is a real place, you can Google it, Mule Shoe, Texas. If the biggest church in Mule Shoe, Texas was 150, and that's the most I'd ever seen in my life, I couldn't think bigger than that. But if I took you to Seoul, Korea and showed you a church of half a million, when you got back to Mule Shoe or Leesburg, they'd be the same, but you'd never be the same because you've seen it is possible. It can be done. And that's true in business. That's true in marriage. That's true in your financial life, your health. It, with anything that you want to do, you go places, you meet people, you read books, and you get a bigger worldview. And that is the thing you don't get in a small community. I got my wife out of a small community in North Carolina. She had never been out of the state. I said, baby, strap up because we're going to take a ride to change your life. And I put her in the right cockpit seat of my airplane, and that girl has flown around the world with me for 10 million miles. She thinks a lot bigger than North Carolina. I think a lot bigger than my South Carolina roots. Some of my old redneck friends that I went to high school and college with hadn't changed at all. they just ugly. <laughs> ugly and old. Haven't done anything new. Haven't learned anything new. Haven't tried anything new. That's a life that sucks. God didn't do that to you. You did that to you or you're listening to the wrong people. So I want people to come up to a much higher level, and so does God. And when God calls you, I say, say yes, because he can choose way bigger, way better than you and I. He knows what's best. So my suggestion is you'll never go wrong if you say yes. So first, he calls somebody. Now, can you think of anywhere in the Bible God interrupts anybody and says, I'm going to do something easy. You know, I got an assignment for you. It's pretty quick. Not much demand to it. Nowhere in Scripture do you see that. It doesn't happen that way. God doesn't give anybody an easy job. Read Hebrews 11 and read one person after another, male and female, whose lives were interrupted by God, and God called them to a challenging task. God comes to Noah. He says, I want you to build an ark. I know we don't have any water. Build the ark and face the ridicule and start the whole human race over. Hello? You don't see anybody jumping up, waving a hanky, blowing a whistle, and going hallelujah. You don't see that. That's like, what? God comes to Abraham and says, I want you to leave everything familiar to you. 
Go to a country. I'll show you where when you get there. Give that a shot. Smoke that for a while. Think about that in your golf cart. And the dude's 75, right? God comes to Joseph and says, I want you to be faithful to me. When you're betrayed by your brothers, when you're falsely accused of sexual assault by, by a woman, a desperate housewife of Egypt, and you're thrown in prison, and you're a slave. Suck on that a while, Joseph. How's that sound to you? I don't think we read the Bible like real people. These are just normal people like you and me. God comes to Moses. I want you to leave a life comfortable, living in the palace, a gated community, probably has three or four custom golf carts, probably has got a Ferrari in there or a Lamborghini, probably lives in a gated community. He's got all the gold Rolexes and all my exes are wearing Rolexes or something. I don't know. I heard an old country song. <laughs> I, get, I get dangerous if I get, if I get too free. He says, I want you to go back to Egypt and defy Pharaoh. Unbelievable. More than anything else, know that God does love you. That's a fact. He wants you to know him, to know his grace and his goodness and enjoy his presence. And yet, you've got to wake up out of your slumber, have a cup of coffee, and realize God is not so concerned about making you comfortable as he is transforming your life and using your life to make a difference in this world. It's so important to understand it. Because we live in a world where comfort is where we're most often pushed or pressured to pursue a comfortable life, to buy it at any cost. And sometimes people will think about God like this. Well, Rick, I followed God. I said yes to God. He didn't make my life comfortable. He didn't give me everything I wanted to feel safe and secure and well off. Where in the Bible does God say, if you'll say yes to me, I promise, I'll give you the latest sports car, I'll let you have a beautiful home in a gated community and have a hot spouse. Tell me where he says that. you got to watch Christian TV to get that. That is not in the Bible. Oh, I'm sorry. I've never seen more nonsense in my life that's paraded as Christianity. And so they think maybe something's wrong with me. Maybe something's wrong with God. But God never promised that stuff. That's an illusion. So when God calls you, anybody, it'll be something outside your comfort zone. It will. It'll be outside of that chair, right? So it starts with a call, and it's a challenging call. Number two, there's always a response. In every case, the person whose life God interrupts will express their initial reaction to God. And after God gives somebody a hard assignment, how often do you think anybody says, wow, what a great opportunity. Defy Pharaoh, take on the Midianite army, spend the night in the lion's den, walk into a fiery furnace, face jeers, floggings, chains, even prison? Fabulous. What a great challenge. Thank you, God. Nobody says that. And almost never do people respond anyway but in fear and insecurity. We all do. Sometimes it's fear that I'm just inadequate. God comes to a guy named Gideon. He said, I want you to save my people from the Midianite army. I want you to be the guy that leads them into ba battle. Listen to his response. But Lord, Gideon said, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my family. What a real self-image he's got, huh? I'm not adequate for this, Lord. I've been living in Leesburg all my life. 
You talk about dysfunctional families. My family is the most dysfunctional in all of Manasseh, and I'm the lowest functioning person in my family. I don't even have a GED. It's amazing, right? And sometimes it's fear of failure. God asked Moses, go send out the scouts to explore the promised land. Then 10 of the 12 came back and said, the land we explored devours all who are living in it. All the people we saw there are giants. They all have master's degrees. We could never do it. We ought to go back home. We're going to fail. Where's my golf cart? I'm pushing a little bit. You, know, you understand. I love you, but I, I'm not going to make you comfortable. My job is to afflict the comforted, okay? Terry can comfort the afflicted, but I'm going to afflict the comforted. I, a lot of people will say, God would never ask me to do something, Rick, that I can't handle. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? God always asks people to do something they can't handle on their own. Without me, you can do nothing. In the Bible, when God calls somebody to do anything, their initial response is always, I'm scared to death. I'm inadequate. So if there's a challenge in front of you, a course of action, a road that if you walk down would cause you to grow and be a great blessing to people around you, but you're scared to do it, don't just say no, because there's a good chance God's in that challenge. I'll go a step further. If you're not facing any challenges too big for you in your life right now, a little bit over your head, if it's been a long time since you've ever been scared, it's a real possibility you've been in that chair too long. That's a fact. See, what's in your heart to do? You know, I can remember we started like you and uh, Terry and Anita in Moki, no, well, Shoney, big boy. We started in a little hotel room, tiny little room. Took a chance. Cost me 150 bucks to rent the room. I have no income. I sold my beautiful home in Savannah, Georgia, and I took a risk. My two little girls, a U-Haul at trailer. I didn't have partners. I didn't have anybody supporting me. And we took a gamble. And <laughs> people sometimes are beyond dumb. First service, trying to launch a church. Got no assets, no resources, own no equipment. And this lady comes up and says, are we going to have something for divorced singles? I said, lady, I hope we get enough money to pay the rent on this room. That's where we are today, okay? Maybe somewhere in the future we'll have these classes. What a dumb thing to say when you're just starting out. How about saying, anything I can do to help? Can I come early and help set up the chairs? And that's how we live for a long time, starting with nothing. People see where you are now and say, oh, he's lucky. Really? Everybody likes the destination. They just don't want to engage in the journey. And it's hard. Wow. So what's in your heart to do? Maybe God's nudging you to help homeless people. Some people go into that. We have that. We have ministries for that. It's not my cup of tea, but it is somebody's. God touched them. Maybe he's tugging at your heart to help uh, the AIDS Foundation. Rather than just curse it, do something to be a, a blessing and a help. We've done that. Or share your faith with people around you. One of your golf buddies, you know, at, bring them to church. Invite them. I mean, they're closer to that tombstone than most people. Might as well ask the hard question because it's coming. Maybe you, you, you need more Bible training. God's calling you to get into the school here or get a little, little better education. Start a Bible study. Teach a Sunday school. 
Maybe he's nudging you to start a house group. You don't even have to be the teacher. If you've got a comfortable home, now that you're retired, you've got some money, maybe it's nice to have a group of folks who don't have a big home, maybe live in a trailer, to come in and have a nice community. You say, I've had guys, I've made them open their house, and I said, I'll send the teacher in to run the group. You just make sure the house is open. God's blessed you with six, 7,000 square feet. Let's use it for the kingdom of God. And they'd never thought about it. And they said, okay. He couldn't teach, but he's got the home. And so why can't you do something like that to help out? Help out Easter's coming. You're going to have crowds. Even bad churches have good crowds at Easter and Christmas. <laughs> it's true, Lord. Sad, but true. I tell everybody at Easter, 14,000 people, I said, I'll see you Christmas because they can't come in back. It's, I'm sure it's no different in Florida, right? I don't think so. So maybe he's urging you to do that. So I've never known anybody who had a deep, risky, bold faith in God that ever led to an easy, comfortable, challenge-avoiding life. Never. That chair does not build a faith worth having. It does not lead you into a life worth living. And I don't care if you've retired from a corporation, well done. God bless you. But now you've got more time available. You could be a volunteer on occasion or once a week to do something without costing the church any money and use a talent that you have to offer it to the king. I would hate to know I lived my whole life on this earth and did as a believer and did nothing for the kingdom of God. Just sit on a chair. Nothing. And now they can stay home, watch on live stream. Don't even have to engage anybody. Terrible. You can't grow that way. You can only grow with interpersonal connections with people. You know, live streams for sick people. Some of you watching, you ain't sick. You're sitting in that chair, and your bottom's getting big as an 18-wheeler. You know, get in God's house and kingdom. And what did Jesus say? Here, you can't argue with him. He said, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve and to give my life a ransom for many. Serving is the DNA of the kingdom of God. If you don't like serving and you don't like giving, go be a Buddhist or a pagan. Because God says in my kingdom, the DNA is serving and giving. Time, talent, and treasure. Something. And everybody has something. You can offer something to do. Well, nobody gets to the end of their life, looks back at time in the chair and says, my God, those were great days. Great memories. Are you kidding me? Here's what usually happens, and they get old. If God allows them a good old life, they start thinking, if only, if only. Wish I'd, wish I'd. But you, you can't get back that time. You can't get back that life. So it's not too late to start. I mean, Moses was 80, for crying out loud. That includes most of you. <laughs> 75, I'm 76. Some of them only got started in their 70s. Are you with me? People ask me sometimes, are you afraid? I'm not afraid of cancer. I'm not afraid to die. I'm not afraid of a terrorist. I'm a military guy. I, I tell you what I am. I said I have one fear, coming short of what God intended me to be and to do. I'd hate to know when I get to heaven, God says, you are a real disappointment. I had plans, and you, would, you were a coward, a chicken, or you were selfish, or you had your big rear end in the chair most of your life, and you didn't want to do anything sad i think that's why he wipes away tears in heaven because you realize what i could have been what i should have been what i could have done and i didn't do it and that's the only thing that i feel real concern about is coming short of my potential i can't be td jakes and i can't be somebody else famous but i can be the best me i can be 
you know, we started, you, Terry, at least you and Anita can say, well, we came into town at Shoney's Big Boy, not much, but we took it and multiplied it. And God says, well done, good and faithful servant, right? The only person that didn't get well done is the guy that had a talent and then buried it. Now, I never got drunk, never committed adultery, uh, never did this, never did that. In fact, Lord, I never did anything. What a great life. God says, you wicked, unprofitable servant. I'm going to take what you got and give it to the guy with 10. Well, that's not fair. He, he's, got a, he's, got a, he's a good investment. You're not, you're not worthy of an investment. So we owe God a great debt for our lives, and I want him to get something out of me. So God calls. People are scared. They feel inadequate. And third, God gives a promise. He gives you reassurance. A striking thing about these stories of God calling people is that although their initial response was fearful and resistant, God never reacts by saying, oh, Terry, I can see where this would be pretty scary. Don't worry about it. Never mind. Never. <laughs> Moses said, oh, Lord, no, use Aaron. I stutter. I can't talk. But he, he said, I'm slow of speech. Yeah, but you're fast on excuses. <laughs> and God says, are you through, Moses? Yeah. Okay, now therefore go. It didn't change God's mind at all. God hadn't changed his mind about you. That, that, that purpose and destiny is still out there. You're still breathing. You're not finished. There's something you can do. God knows people get scared, so he says a promise. He says to Gideon, for the Lord is with you, O mighty warrior. Mighty warrior? This guy's scared. He's terrified. He's got lots of issues. You know, God sees in us what we can't see in ourselves. He says, if I call you to kill a Goliath, that means there's a David in you. And I see it. Maybe you don't see it, but I see it. So I walk by faith. I have to believe what he says. And so God says, you can walk in my power, my grace, and my authority. God says to Joshua, have not I commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Don't be terrified. Don't be discouraged. Why? For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Some of you need to write those words down, put them on your refrigerator, and remind yourself this week, wherever you go. And again, it's important to understand these promises don't mean that if you follow God, nothing bad will ever happen to you. Read the Bible, right? God never promises if you follow him, life will be easy. No, you might get hurt. You might suffer some. You might get betrayed. All of us who follow Christ follow in a way of faith for which millions of people before us have given their lives. Romans 12, Paul's writing to a young church in Rome. I am convinced that nothing, light, depth, angels, demons, powers, principalities, dangers, nakedness, famine, sword, nothing can separate me from the love of God. He does not say nothing is able to harm me. What he says is nothing is able to separate me from the love of God. So God calls somebody, the person is scared, feels inadequate, then God gives a promise, he reassures them, I will be with you, and that leads to the fourth component, which is the time of decision where you have to say yes or no. Now, of course, you're going to feel scared, you're going to feel inadequate, you've measured the cost, you've considered how much time in the chair you'll have to give up in order to do it, and even with God's promises, you wonder if you could ever pull it off. I got off a couch at 44 years of age, Savannah, Georgia, well-paid, lived on an intercoastal waterway on a golf community, low-interest mortgage. Life was good. And God spoke. And I wrestled and wrestled with that for about three years. And I, here's, what, here's what motivated me to say yes. Wondering 
the rest of my life, no matter how good it might have been, what if? What if I'd have said yes? Where would my life be? What would be different? Terry, if you hadn't have said yes, you'd still be living in Virginia with those rednecks and in bondage. Your life wouldn't be bigger than a mosquito. You wouldn't have affected all the people that you have affected, blessed so many people. You wouldn't have met Anita. Life would really suck for you. Thank God you said yes. And the same for me. I mean, I'm getting down dirty practical, all right? I think of the thousands of people we know, the great leaders we know throughout the world, the people we've met, the people we've been able to, they tell you, you've changed my life. My whole life was a mess. My marriage was a mess. I'm all, all that wouldn't exist if you'd have said no. And it wouldn't exist for me either. So in spite of what I'm sharing, everybody's going to feel the challenge that says, God, would you really interrupt my life like this? I put up with enough rather than to now take on a burden that you're giving me. And he doesn't care what your age is. I thought, this is not good. Why are you speaking to me now? You know, God spoke to Moses out of a burning bush. <laughs> Everybody said, I wish the Lord to speak to me. Really? Oh, really? Are you really serious about that? That ain't good when God speaks to you. Let me tell you that. It's going to shake your cage, that's for sure. If I see a burning bush, I'm just going to walk on by. <laughs> Dion Warwick, walk on by. Because I know what's going to happen. But you still have to give an answer. You've got to respond. And as much as God cares about how you do feel, he lays before you. And he does care. What ultimately matters is whether you say yes or no. That's what really matters. You know, am I going to say yes to a great adventure with God or just remain in my lazy boy chair and never know what life could have been, lives I could have changed? You just never know. Comfort never made anybody feel alive, and it never will. So what's God putting on your heart? What's he been challenging you with right now? Maybe it involves a relational risk telling the truth to somebody, and you've been scared to do it. Maybe God's calling you to a different vocation, and that was my condition. And I had my comfort zone, well-paid, secure, good at what I did, and now I'm going to step out for me in ministry, and I don't know what I'm doing. I have no proven experience in that. I'm terrified. I'm not afraid of people. or ch I'm afraid I'm not qualified for the job. That's my fear. And that was like, 38 years ago in a little bitty hotel. And I think, my God, what if I'd have said no? Who knows what would have been? So maybe you're holding on to your money because you want to buy a more expensive lazy boy with built-in massager. <laughs> Even though you know God wants you to be generous and to serve and to help the kingdom, maybe God's asking you to explore some area he's gifted you in to serve other people, but you're holding yourself back because you don't feel qualified. Maybe there's a secret sin, an addiction, some struggle, and nobody knows about it, and you're scared anybody might find out, and so you've never gone for help. God can't help you and fix you and deliver you if you don't own up to a problem you have. And I tell everybody in my church, if you tell me you've got a problem, I don't care what it is, I will never throw you under the bus. You are qualified with that courage to get help and get deliverance. God doesn't want you to live your whole life carrying that shame and guilt down to the last day of your life. God, in this broken world, 
as followers of Jesus, we're not supposed to arrive at the end of our lives carrying that crushing load of shame and guilt and junk all the way through. So it's going to take real courage for you to say, yes, I'm going to get help. I'm going to acknowledge in confidence with someone trusted that I need help. And I promise you, God will deliver you and God will help you regardless of the pit you're in at the moment. So what area is God asking you to get out of the chair? Here's the last point, number five. All of these stories where God interrupts somebody's life, challenges them to do something, result in a changed life. That's the good news. Both in the Bible and history, every time somebody says yes to God, the world changes a little bit. Mordecai Ham preached in North Carolina for a week in a tent meeting in a little bitty community, doubt it's 100 people. Nobody got saved the whole week except one teenager, Billy Graham, and changed the world. You don't know what child, what young adult, what person in here can be a world changer. You have no idea. And, and that's what fascinates me. I never know in that great crowd who's sitting there. Whose life is at stake? Whose marriage is hanging in the balance? Who's about to commit suicide? Who feels totally hopeless and worthless and valueless? Can I give them hope to live another day? We are ambassadors and missionaries of hope, not guilt, shame, and condemnation. I'm a, I'm a travel agent of good news, not guilt trips. And Jesus came to give you good news on your stinking worst day. Good news, not bad news. So whenever we say yes to God, our faith gets a little deeper, our courage gets a little stronger, our light glows a little bit brighter. When you say no to God asking you to do something, your heart gets a little bit colder, you get a little harder of hearing, your faith gets a little weaker, and you get more addicted to that stinking chair. And it gets a little less likely as you get older, you'll ever get out of it. Because that chair does not build a faith worth having. It doesn't lead you into a life worth living. So is there an area of your life today God's calling you off the chair? Are you willing to take the risk? Are you willing to say yes to God? I'd at least rather try. You say, Rick, you might fail. Okay, but I tried. My wife could at least go to my tombstone and say, at least a sucker tried. I mean, this pet peeve of mine. I, I'll try. I'll, I'll take the risk. No risk, no reward. Nothing. Faith is spelled R-I-S-K. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Sitting on a pew is not pleasing God, okay? It's what he asked you to do. I had a young man ask me about uh, talking for coffee after a service, and he said, uh, I was quizzing him. I said, you got a girlfriend? Anything going on in your, in your love life? He said, no, but I sure would like to ask so-and-so uh, out, but I don't think she'd ever have anything to do with me. I mean, she's too pretty and very popular and... I don't think she would ever say yes. I said, well, did you ever ask her? Nope. I said, well, dude, you, you got no going for you right now. What's the worst thing that could happen? I said, you know why good-looking women marry ugly men? Because they asked them. I said, ask her. All she can say is no. And if she's still not hooked up with anybody, ask her again. You, see, God says you have not because you ask not. You got to take a risk. You got to get out of that chair to see what God. God's not going to call it faith if you can see how it's all going to work out. Now, it doesn't take any faith to live that way. And that's the way most people live with no faith at all. 
So you have to decide, am I willing to say yes to God to play this crazy, crazy, nutty game of life on God's terms and not my own? Because one day you entered this world. That was a good day. And one day, and you don't know when, you'll leave this world. And between the first day and the last day, this is the only life you'll ever have. So what are you going to do with your dash? Would you bow your head with me? Maybe God's nudging you. I, I'm sure he has nudged you. And you already don't need a lot of prayer. <laughs> you need to do something about it. It could be starting a new business, expanding an old business, helping out in a church in some area, teaching a class, opening your home for a connect group. It could be working in the electronic field. I don't know how to do that. Others do. Maybe it's playing a musical instrument. Maybe it's just being somebody filled with hospitality and you greet people in a loving, charming, friendly way. Churches can be so cold and isolated. Oh, who is that? Well, go find out. Introduce yourself. Make them feel right at home, regardless of their race or their socioeconomic status. Everybody that comes in ought to be welcome. Everybody. Ollie, ollie in free, as we used to play with kids. Everybody's welcome into God's house and to hear good news. But you have to work at that. It's simple. Where's God asking you to get out of a chair? If God's asking you or has been probing you, but because of fear or feeling inadequate, like all of us, you've held back, you haven't said yes, would you let me just include you in a prayer? Just slip a hand up so I can just know you're here. I mean, nobody's going to bother you. Yeah, thank you. Lots of hands. Lots of hands. There's a lot of unrealized potential in this room and in Leesburg. But you got somebody has to step up and take a chance. Every bit of technology we had, Steve Jobs, Bill Gates, all these guys were told, nah, it never worked, nobody will buy it. And they changed the world. Who knows what your little bit can do. When you put it in the hands of God, he multiplies it. You just have no idea. But to know at the end of my life, at least I used my life in some way to serve the kingdom. I didn't just take, I didn't just watch, I got in the game. And that's all we need to shake Leesburg. More people in the game. More people hearing good news. Everybody thinks they know it all. People have been to church, it's been bored to death, or it's just been guilt, shame, and condemnation. So be an oasis of hope, of good news. Change that. Bring somebody. Invite somebody. Get inconvenient. When you're a servant, you have to serve when it's inconvenient, when you're tired, when you don't feel like it. If I showed up to preach just when I felt like it, that'd be about half time of the year. Paul says, preach the word, in season, out of season. In season's about two weeks out of the year. Out of season's about 50 weeks out of the year. It ain't never convenient. But I tell our team, and me included, I'm bringing my A game. It's somebody's last game, but I'm bringing my A game. And on that day, at least I did my best. I did the best I could. No sloppy duct tape, get by, bump along, good enough. Excellent doing excellent now if you didn't come out of that family or background you, that that's a real deficit but you can change that and then you can instill that in your children for the future we're people of excellence we have an excellent god the excellent are more righteous than his neighbor your yard looked like a weed patch beer cans broke down cars in it you devalue the whole neighborhood for god's sake clean it up you may not have much but it can be clean that's that's a fact my grandmother used to sweep dirt 
She'd go out, had no grass in her yard, Seymour, Texas. She'd go out with a broom and sweep the dirt. It was clean. It was poor, but it was clean. You may only have one pair of jeans, but you can wash them. You can wash your hair. See, you can use what you have and be excellent. God says, if you're faithful with a little, I'll make you ruler over much. If you won't be faithful with a little money, you're not going to be faithful if you win the lotto. We'll never see you again. But if you're faithful with a little, God says, you'll be faithful with a lot. I can trust you with more. So start where you are with what you have. I take authority over a spirit of fear, inadequacy, fear of failure, fear of rejection, fear of man. I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. I take authority over you. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but love, power, and a sound mind. And I pray for courage and boldness for my friends, Lord, whether they're old or young. It still takes courage to do what you say. Give them the courage to see what they will never see until they say yes. I thank you for that. And maybe you're here this morning and you've never accepted Jesus. Not talking about church membership. Just talking about Jesus. Maybe you've never committed your life to him. Maybe you're not sure. Maybe for some reason you've gotten off track, drifted away. Well, God still loves you. His gifts and callings are irrevocable. Just recommit yourself to him. But if you've never invited Jesus or you're not sure, why would you want to leave something that's eternal hanging in the balance of, well, I'm not sure? Let's do that now. If I can pray with you, nobody's going to come to you. Nobody's going to bother you. But I'd like to know to include you in my closing prayer before Pastor Terry comes. Just slip a hand up and take it down. Say, Rick, put me in that prayer. Yeah, thank you, thank you, thank you. God bless you, God bless you. Thank you. I see a lot of hands around this auditorium. Thank you, thank you. Don't you be ashamed. God doesn't hold grudges. You just draw near to God, he'll draw back near to you. That's him. He didn't move, you moved. I'm going to pray a prayer. We're all going to pray it together. Everybody in unison. Everybody. Say, Lord Jesus, I confess you are the Son of God. I believe you died for me and rose from the dead. Come into my heart as Savior and Lord. Forgive my sin. Give me your gift of eternal life. Fill me with your courage to say yes to any call you place on my life. Thank you. You will never leave me. You will never forsake me. I can do all things through Christ who will strengthen me. So thank you, Lord, for the precious gift of eternal life that you paid for. Help me fulfill your purpose for my life in my generation. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Amen. 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 As a church, it's our honor to play a small part in all that God is doing in and through your life. And we'd love to continue with you on that journey. To find out what your next steps are in your relationship with Jesus, all you have to do is go to thefathershouse.com slash next. Join us next week as we continue to love God, help people, and build the kingdom.